Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. I am your host, Tiasha Zaitz, and this is the fourth and final episode of a short series of discussions with doctors that moved from full-time clinical practice to work in digital health. In the previous episodes, you were able to listen to Owen Hughes, UK surgeon, explaining his mission to connect primary care doctors with specialists to improve healthcare outcomes, patient and doctor satisfaction. Our technology really facilitates existing relationships within the health system. It's not that we own the specialists and provide the specialists to the system. No, so the way our, our software works is that it helps existing relationships between different parts of the system. You know, whether they re- realize it or whether they're talking directly today or not, these people are very interdependent and they are really working together. It's just that the tools that they have are not very good. They're very inefficient. And before that, Michael Doctor, GI specialist from Boston Children's Hospital, spoke about his mission to ease test coordination in hospitals with his platform Dog.Health. Uh, we often operate in silos in healthcare, and so how do we, you know, knock those silos down and work together and get on the same page? And that's not just internal teams, but that's how does the healthcare system work better together to take patient care across the many stakeholders in in the ecosystem. In the first episode, Daniel Kraft, Stanford and Harvard trained physician scientist, inventor, entrepreneur, and innovator, founder and chair of Exponential Medicine talked about a very interesting idea for personalized medication management and debated various aspects of the influence of COVID-19 on digital health. So one of the things I'm most excited about, I think that's emerged in this COVID era and has been accelerated is now connecting other dots, remote patient monitoring, which even started to get reimbursed in the last year or so under setting of Medicare in the United States. Now you can have a connected sensor pick up respiratory status, and uh, that might be relevant in COPD, but also in somebody uh, who's diagnosed with COVID uh, or a connected pulse oximeter and, and potentially use that to, to monitor a patient uh, and, and triage them appropriately. So I think that's sort of that now blend going beyond telemedicine, meaning where I can see you on the screen, you can see me, we have some chit chat. I'm going to hopefully have much more contextual information, that asynchronous data, meaning the data collected from my smartwatch and smart home and digital scale and buffer shakoff can hopefully inform that that connected care visit so that you're not just popping up on the screen, but I know what that patient's context have been, what's with their resting heart rate, uh, what their temperatures might have been, what's happened to their weight, have they been taking their medications or not? So all that, some of those dots are starting to connect. Um, still a long way to go, but that's one of the things I think is a bit of a positive coming out of this, uh, you know, major crisis. Today, we are moving to Spain and South America. The speaker you will hear from is Guillem Serra, a doctor who studied medicine and math, and because he felt that medical practice was too repetitive and rigid for his taste, he began programming and turned into an entrepreneur. We talked about his company Medico, which is a platform enabling patients to chat with the doctors and specialists 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, in a secure way, with all the tools and compliance needed for healthcare. Enjoy the discussion and do look up for other episodes as well. You can find them and their summaries on our website www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. 
And if you haven't yet, do subscribe to the podcast to be notified about new upcoming episodes automatically. Coming up next are two very interesting discussions with doctors that are using TikTok as a tool to educate the wider public. More about that next week. Gulim, uh, first of all, you come from a family of doctors. You actually have a very interesting family history when it comes to medicine. Can you share that with us? So how come you studied medicine? Did you even have a choice? Yes, good. Uh, uh, it's a good point. Uh, in fact, I come from a legacy of doctors. Uh, my father and my mother uh, are actually doctors. Also, my grandfather was a doctor and my grand-grandfather also was a doctor. In fact, I'm, I, I was and I, I still am I'm the fourth generation of doctors in my family. So it's, it's, it is what it is and it was I, I've lived for, since the, my birth. So it, it, it was, I could choose, but it was not easy to choose something that was different than medicine. So how come you decided to study medicine? Was it just the easier because you were so familiar with it? Did you show interest already in your young age? Ex exactly. That, that was the point. For me, it was easier. It was what I was looking at uh, every day. It was what uh, I was listening to my father, uh, my parents speak. It was the easiest path. It, it, it seems strange because medicine is not an easy, an easy career, an easy, an easy degree. But uh, for me, it was the easier path. I, I, I in fact, uh, I, I loved uh, maths. I loved studying, solving problems. I loved all the, uh, all these typical um, mathematician problems that uh, you can, you need to solve. But at the end of the day, what I uh, uh, what I was easier for me was uh, just choosing the, my family path. So you studied medicine and math, right? Yes. When I finished medicine, I started working as a medical doctor, and the first year I was uh, I was very bored. Uh, since uh, when I was very young, I loved maths. I want I wanted to study maths, and when I I, I, I was faced with the uh, with the idea of working every day with the same routine of the medical practice, I had the feeling that it, this is was not what it was for me. So I, I studied maths. I started working as a, a developer, a C++ developer in a medtech startup. And this is what, uh, how I changed my, my, my professional path. I must say that I'm kind of surprised that you said that you were bored in medicine. I doubt that I've ever heard anyone say that, you know, especially now when times are so exciting and scientific progress is happening so fast and there's all these new technologies coming in. 100% sure, but you have to go to the medical practice. The medicine is changing a lot. And I'm working in, a, I, I created two companies in the, in the medicine, medical sector. Medicine is changing a lot. Innovation research is changing how we see uh, medicine, how we can solve problems in medicine every day. The question is, you as a medical doctor, you see the same patients every day, you see the same, the same problems every day. You cannot have time, for example, for innovation. You cannot have time for, for being with your patient actually today. So it was like, okay, you have 30 patients every day, different patients, same problems, 
same place, uh, same career path, the, the, the everyday practice, it's not, you have to have a stomach for it to, to, to be, because it's not like we, uh, you will have a great progression in terms of a professional path. So when you were still uh, in school and when you were training for a doctor, what frustrated you most? What was the technology like then? Perhaps you can uh, tell us when was this? How many years ago? Uh, because just you know, so we have a, an understanding of uh, the difference compared to today. Did you already work with EHRs or was everything still on paper? Yes, yes, everything. When I started as, uh, working as a medical doctor, in fact, it wo- uh, uh, DHR is, uh, was already uh, uh, on the hospital, inside of the hospital that I was working uh, in. And uh, what I saw and I still am seeing and also find in this uh, EHR, it's the same thing that I, uh, I always struggled with, is that they are designed to satisfy the need of recording everything. It's for accountability. It's for invoicing. It's for keeping everything sorted. It's not about the doctors. It's not about making uh, easier the lives or work of doctors and patients. This, uh, you, if you work with this kind of EHR, you, you will see that you spend a lot of time doing a lot of boring processes that don't add anything to the actual medical practice. It's for accountability. In fact, if you see some metrics, you can see or some KPIs, you see that more than half time, half percent of the time that the doctor is spending in a medical practice is spending writing and browsing using this EHR. And in some countries, we have seen special roles arising of doctor personal assistants who are in charge of writing everything in EHR while the doctor is 100% centered on the patient. So this is a symptom that something is not working as it should be in this kind of, of, of uh, softwares. So tell me a little bit more uh, about how you then decided to take a different path. Did you immediately decide to become an entrepreneur? In fact, I'm not a business guy. I'm a technical guy. I started as a developer, as a researcher in a medtech company. I started uh, developing all signal processing the uh, algorithms for filtering uh, ECG signals, for interpreting and diagnosing uh, heart attacks in ECG signals. This is what my this is this is what I, I did uh, during eight years, and also started uh, as a research uh, research department. It was not I didn't thought about creating a company or a business. Uh, I didn't thought about being a businessman or a entrepreneur. But uh, when what I was seeing in the market is that, uh, or in my sector, is that all my friends are, were using WhatsApp to talk to patients. All the uh, all the data that uh, of the studies of how doctors are communicating with users, I was seeing that everyone was using informally in the private uh, in the part in private uh, sector. They were using instant messaging apps. And I didn't see anything, anything like that in the startup world. I couldn't see any solution that was not the generalist WhatsApp that was really tackling this problem. So um, I, uh, I started developing a solution 
And then I met with my other co two co-founders and we, we started the, the company. But uh, I was a very technical guy. Now it's like always it's about numbers, about business lines, about strategy. But on the very beginning, I was developing and programming everything. Medico is uh, also called the WhatsApp for medicine. So what you're enabling is video conferencing and connectivity between patients and doctors. And you're very active in Spain and in uh, South America. So maybe we can just uh, start there. Can you explain a little bit more in detail how uh, doctors are chosen to be on the platform, how patients choose which doctor they talk to? Do they always talk to the same doctor? You can you have to imagine Medico as the WhatsApp of healthcare. Uh, it works the same way. You have a list of available doctors who can you choose to talk. Then you click on them and you can talk as long as you want, as many times as you want, uh, with as many doctors as you want. And we have to answer in less than two minutes. So it's like uh, having the WhatsApp, but instead of having friends, you have doctors. These doctors have a, a green ballot uh, on the bottom left of the picture. If they are green, they, they, it means that they, they are available and they have to answer in less than two minutes. And you just have to need to, to click on them and start talking. And it, you can talk uh, as long as you want. This is one of the most important things. And another thing that also it's very very important to us is that once you talk to a doctor, he's assigned to you. So anytime he's connected, we will prioritize him instead of other doctors in the, with the same specialty. So because uh, so with the idea of uh, we want to create a very strong relationship with a link between the doctor and the patient. So even though you can see a lot of doctors, you can choose and and, and talk with any of our, all of our doctors, we, when you start talking with one doctor, every time that he's connected, he will be the first choice, available choice for you. It's like WhatsApp. You can see your friends that you talk uh, more frequently on the top of the list. So more or less is the same. In the, in the supply side, on the doctor side, what we offer is uh, uh, the doctor, the, avail the availability to have an extra income. Yes, we have two different mm, business models. In one side, we have the doctors that they want to use Medico and Medico product platform for their own practical clinics, uh, for their own uh, clinical practice. So they can use us to talk with their own patients, to invite their own patients in their own uh, clinical practice. But also, if they want to have an extra income, they can have be like the Uber for doctors. So they can join us in the, uh, to be a public doctor. They will be uh, paid for per medical consultation, per chat, per medical consultation uh, in one day, for every medical consultation that they know. And the what why the doctors join us the the most important thing is that they love the idea to use whatsapp or or not whatsapp an instant messaging at home instead of doing video conference video conference is very it's uncomfortable for the for the doctor it doesn't change anything you have to be uh, uh you have to be displayed with a good uh with a with a web you need a webcam you need a, to be uh, your desktop. Uh, there are a lot of things that you cannot do with a video conference. But you still enable it, right? Yes, of course. 
It's, but it's exception. So the idea is that the main channel of communication is WhatsApp. It's instant messaging, like, like email. But when, when the doctor needs to do a video conference, he can start a video conference. And they can, they can do the video conference whenever they want. But all the following ups, the continuity of care, all the, the doubts, uh, it's mo much more comfortable in using instant messaging for the doctor and also for the patient than using a video conference. This is something that you can see organically happening also in, the, in, in your day-to-day in -day communication. We, uh, for me, uh, now I'm doing a lot of video conferences because it's what I have to do. But uh, meanwhile, I'm doing a lot of Slack. I'm using a lot of Slack, a lot of WhatsApp to talk with my clients, with providers, with, uh, with my patients, with my team. This is uh, the main channel for, my, for communication today. So you said that doctors can either uh, meet new patients on the platform or invite existing patients to the platform. Does that mean that the existing patients that the doctor has seen in their office are moving into telemedical care so that the doctor actually starts interacting less with them in person because they can manage everything online? Yes and no. Uh, yes, because some uh, in a lot of medical consultations that the doctor receives, or several um, majority of medical consultations that the doctor receives online when it's about the follow, uh, following up uh, uh, from the first visit or uh, solving some doubt that you had uh, after the visit you have done with your doctor. So uh, it's actually it's, uh, increasing the relationship or the value that receives the patient. On the other side, of course, uh, when a doctor uh, does a video conference or a, 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 a medical consultation through chat, um, 80% of these medical consultations can be, held, uh, can be solved entirely using a digital channel. So the biggest problem here is uh, who is paying for this. If the doctor is charging for this or health insurance is paying the doctor for this, uh, the doctor uh, favors the idea of doing telemedicine than doing a, a physical visit. But there has to be a payer and it's very important either the patient or either the health insurance or either the public service. If no one is paying for this, the doctor will not do it for the sake of, uh, sake of, uh, of, of, of being a good doctor. So how is that managed? You're present in Spain and you're also present in South America. So first of all, how come you chose South America? Is it because of the language? And uh, what are the differences that you know you're noticing in the healthcare systems and adoption and the issue of who pays for these consultations? Good question. Today, uh, first thing, MedicWo is not attached to any health insurance company. We are not a site a product or uh, an add-on from uh, co a coverage for, for some health insurance. Uh, users that come for, to MedicWo are paying a subscription fee, like uh, being like a Netflix or Spotify or, or other Amazon Prime, to have this unlimited access. So. It, we are like uh, a Netflix. So it's not about who is paying for it. It's the user who is, for, in medical today, is the user who is paying for this. The user who is paying for these 24-7 immediate med medical answers. 
And what you talked about localization, the most limiting, the most important limiting factor for internationalization is language. It's not about being in a country or another country, it's about language of the medical service. Translating the app and the platform is quite, it's very easy, it's not costly. The, the most important thing for us is that if we, for example, want to open in, in Portuguese or in English, we need to have this 24-7 basic immediate, immediate medical service. And this immediate medical service, you, have, you need to have a doctor at 5 o'clock in the morning, is very costly. So it's the most limiting factor for us. This is why it was much, much easier for us to go to Latin America, to US, and also in Spain, that, for example, over, uh, opening in France. So, uh, and also in Brazil, we are, uh, I think it's the fourth uh, or fourth uh, most important country in, in, in Latin America is Brazil. And they are Portuguese, but a lot of, uh, a lot of population in Brazil, they talk in Spanish. So it's about the language. It's not about the country. And for uh, the next and the next uh, month, we will also open in, in Portuguese and in, in English. And it's this is the most limiting factor: the medical service language. So, what kind of differences in the healthcare systems uh, are you seeing? So, for example, before you mentioned that you're not limiting the time that the patient is spending with the doctor. So based on the culture, how uh, much does the attitude of doctors differ uh, regarding how long they want to speak to the patients? And uh, on the second hand, how much are patients interested in talking for a long time with the doctor? It's a good question because it, uh, when we, what we have seen, we only know the differences between the US market, Latin American, Latin American market and also Spanish or European market. The main differences we have seen it not in doctors but in, uh, in patients. In Medico, you have a freemium service. Uh, as a user, you can have a free access to medical groups, to groups like uh, communities or groups where you can chat anonymously and join anonymously, anonymously to, with other patients. And there are always these groups, they are always moderated by one professional. So if, uh, we have a groups of pregnancy, a group for fertility, a group of depression, a groups of a lot of different groups. We have hundreds of groups. And also you have uh, free access to personal assistant. There are, there are nurses who uh, helps you uh, with the first, the very basic question that you can have in Medicua. What we have seen is that in Latin America, all these groups and communities are much, much more used and they have more, much more traction than, for example, in US or in, in, in Spain. It's the main, uh, we, you have, we, we need, in fact, we needed to separate the Latin American groups to the Spanish groups because it was massive in terms of engagement from Latin American users instead of Spanish users. And also the language and also the different languages that they have, the different cultures and the different also practices that they can do, for example, with a child, with some kind of uh, infections that are very different in, in Latin America than in, in Spain. We have seen a lot of different, and we, in fact, we needed to split the groups in, for, uh, for in between Latin America and in Spain and US. Spanish, European, European population, Spanish population, and also uh, America, US, 
are more keen to pay than uh, Latin American countries. Even though we have a lot of payers in, in Latin America, 40% of our payers are from Latin America, or 30%, it's much more easier to convert to a premium in Spain and in US than in, in for example, I don't know, Mexico. Why do you think that is? First, because a lot of these countries have a lot of problems in credit cards. So the typical thing that you can see as a basic way for paying here in, in Spain or in the US that you're using a credit card and it's, uh, we're using a standard Stripe platform for medical, for paying for services. In some countries in Latin America, they, they don't have a, a credit card. This is not a typical thing to have. Do you, uh, there are a lot of restrictions to have a credit card when you have for the time, uh, bank risk assessment. So you, you, you can see that there are, there are not a lot of people that can that can that can have the also the, the means of paying for that in using a credit card. And the other thing is that prices differ a lot between countries. In some countries, you can go in Argentina, doctors are very very low paid, so the medicine is seen with a, with a, a very cheap in a cheap access. And if you go, for example, to Mexico or to Brazil, it's the other way around. There are a lot of differences depending on the country that you go in Latin America. Also in the US, you can see, for example, in Spain and US, uh, the average salary in, in, in Spain for a medical doctor is about 60,000 euros. In the US, it's, it's between 150,000 and 200,000 uh, Are there any specific trends that you are seeing since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic? Did you have to adapt the solution in any way? I know that uh, I think before the pandemic, you had 600,000 downloads. For example, Zoom had uh, 10 million daily meeting participants in December 2019, so December last year. And in March, that number grew to 200 million and then in April to 300 million daily. So I wonder if you are seeing anything similar like that. Yes, it's more or less the same in, in, with different uh, in different numbers. But for example, uh, in January, in December 2019, we had we were solving 3,000 medical consultations per day until December. During the first weeks of the pandemic, we peaked to 15,000 medical consultations per day. We multiplied by a factor of five, six, or seven the number of medical medical consultations per day that we have. Also, in terms of sales, we increased we tenfold increased tenfold the number of new sales that we had between December and in in April. One one of the things that we had to do is, for example, in one week we had to hire more than thirty doctors because we couldn't keep with the number of medical consultations that we have. How do you search for doctors any, um, on any market that you enter? And also, do you have to localize the solution in any way when you enter the new market? Because healthcare in the end is always local. That's why you have similar solutions to yours around the world, because nobody can really cover everything with the same solution unless you engage the local population. Do you know that the, the, most, important, the most important telehealth company is called WhatsApp? The, the company who is doing more telehealth, telemedical uh, consultation is not Teladoc, it's not WeChat, it's not Babylon Health, it's not Cree, it's not us, it's WhatsApp. WhatsApp is today, more than 50% of, uh, of professions are using WhatsApp to talk to patients. In, in, in Latin America, in some countries, for example in Brazil, it's more than 95%. So the most important telehealth company today in the world is WhatsApp. 
So what I see is that there are a lot of localization, a lot of typical things that are very different in different markets. For example, who is the payer? Who is paying this? What is the operation in the operation level? How how is this managed? The, the payment. Also, all the things that are very important. Prescription. What what is legal or what is not? What is how can you do the prescription? What is the method to do or the the protocol to do a, a prescription? The paper itself. The, and other things, for example, where I, that I've seen is that in, in some countries you can see that, for example, health insurance and the provider of, of medical service has to be separated. They cannot be the same company. And so they cannot, for example, provide medical services themselves, a health insurance company. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you go to the more to the most basic communication, you can see that they use WhatsApp. So what, what I see in terms of medical is that uh, when you go to the most basic solution is what it can be more scalable. It doesn't need to be too localized. You don't need to change a lot the app. We have seen, we have doctors in, in, in Colombia, we have doctors in, and patients in a lot of countries and they feel comfortable using WhatsApp. They don't need any type of different things in the basic communication. If you make the, the things simple, if you then you have to integrate with medical prescriptions, with health insurance, with payers, this is what it's the limiting factor for all of these companies that they work besides a health insurance company. Yeah, or with the public sector. If you work with them, with them, you have to be localized, 100%. Every, and every country, they will need a different integration, a different approach for the, to the market, and a different way of paying for this. The, local, the most important things for, that limits the internationalization are when the payers or, or, the, or the, the, the buyers of the thing are the health insurance companies, the public sector, or the providers, the, the big hospital groups. WhatsApp does have a lot of capital, so does that, you don't seem worried or anything about the competition. If all the companies had to have fear about um, WhatsApp uh, being in their market, we will not have any startups. WhatsApp is uh, WhatsApp and others, this kind of WhatsApp and WeChat are uh, eating and capturing a lot of markets and communications and interaction with customers in a lot of different sectors, not only in the medical sector, but in a lot of different sectors. I cannot worry about WhatsApp because if I have to worry about WhatsApp, it's like it's impossible to compete with them. But there is a very important thing about WhatsApp and us. WhatsApp is a general solution. You don't have a medical record inside of WhatsApp. Yet WhatsApp, they don't keep the information. They don't keep the data. And this is something that it's a legal, uh, a legal issue. It's a, a compliance, something that is that you don't, as a medical solution, you don't comply with. As a medical solution, you need to store the data more than five years, more than ten years in some countries in your servers. And you, and and what's that? They they delete the data in twenty four hours. There are other things. For example, they uh, don't provide all very specific but useful things for a doctor the medical prescriptions appointments medical records also store the age weight and height and all of these different things that are very particular to healthcare always whatsapp can say 
well, tomorrow. We will do WhatsApp for healthcare and I, I am out of the market. What are your experiences with the healthcare system in Spain and you know how uh, the country faced the um, healthcare crisis that just happened? You've been hit pretty hard. One of the good things, uh, if you, you know about the people talk uh, about Spanish flu in two, uh, 1918, Yeah, it was the Spanish flu. What's the, 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 I think, the most important epidemic of the 18th, 19th century, 20th, 20th century uh, in the world. Deaths were between five, 50 million to 100 million. So it went like crazy. And it's called a, a Spanish flu. It's not because it was origin in, the Sp in Spain, it's because it was the first country that publicly said that we have a problem here. That is, We have these deaths. We need to have a public solution to this. All of the rest of the countries, they they were they hide this information, and in in Spain, uh, it was the first country that say, "Hey, we have an epidemic here." In terms of uh, why I am telling you this, because in Spain, one of the the, the most important things in Spain is they they are very transparent in what is happening in terms of deaths, in terms of on especially in terms of deaths and accounting. All the deaths that are happening in, in uh, due to coronavirus, we were uh, very hit it very hard and hit very hard in the very beginning because we have a lot of elderly. Our uh, average lifespan is the, the next year will be the first one in the world. Combining this with the of the the people from Spain that they are very touchy. touchy. They took the touch, everything. We are very pro closer to, to all people. We, we give kisses, we give, uh, shake hands a lot. So it was quite easy to, to strike, to have a very strong hit uh, in, in, in terms of, uh, of uh, the epidemics. But also you can see now that uh, it is one of the countries that it was with a very strict mentality. We were hit very hard. But people are very conscious about that. And I think that in terms of one of the things that I'm not proud about is, is that we are the country that we had more rate of uh, more most rate of infection inside of uh, among among healthcare professionals. And it's not a good thing. It's about the protocols that had to be uh, planned beforehand. It were it weren't the all the masks that we had to have, we didn't have it. And, and this is something that I'm not proud of. The rest, it's not that hard. And I think it's, I'm kind of quite proud about how we solved and we are solving the problem now. What about your basic uh, uh, thought regarding the digital health and e-health development in Spain? As far as I heard, um, a lot of services are supported in that way. Yeah, in Spain, uh, when uh, when I, I thought about you, the medical re uh, medical electronic record, uh, it was 18 years ago, 18 like 20 years ago, and we, we had our electronic medical record, and we had an integration between all the GPs in in Catalonia, for example. There, there is a lot of digitalization in the healthcare system in Spain, and uh, in, the, in especially in the private sector. I know very well the private sector and all, almost all the health insurance companies in Spain are offering somewhat uh, telehealth solutions in, uh, via chat or uh, video conference. 
But what I've seen the last week is that a lot of medical hospitals, they have changed and, and a lot in terms of uh, acquiring and adding telehealth solutions to their, uh, as, a, as a service. Like, for example, we are working with uh, the second biggest medical hospital group in Spain. They are using Medicool, but also other big hospitals and corporations. I know that they are, they are launching telehealth solutions today. I think this is something that we will, it will be a change of paradigm. I, I know that we, we will now restore the, a, a new normalcy. It is here to, to stay. Uh, what's here to stay? Telemedicine. Telehealth. Uh, that the doctors use telemedicine to talk to patients, that the health insurance companies are paying for that, that the public, public services are offering this kind of solution to the, to the population. is something that uh, it was a trend. Now I've seen that this trend has spiked. Um, you mentioned before that uh, the reason for the fast spread of COVID was culture and the way uh, the relationships between people are, are handled. So I imagine that it's quite a cultural shock to just have to have this social distance now and to have to wear a mask. And even when restrictions are going to go down, uh, these are still going to be the recommended ways of communicating or interacting with other people until there's a vaccine and we know that this pandemic is over. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that relaxing these quarantine measures on, or distance measures, it's not... I have a, I'm very afraid of what we, it will happen the next weeks or months. Today, how many, how many people in Spain, population in Spain... Uh, are are immune are have uh, have uh, immunity for example five percent ten percent at most in with this kind of virus we need an eighty percent or eighty five percent of of immunity the population immunity to really tackle this problem so to stop of having this kind of uh, uh, epidemic so I am very afraid that if we don't keep with this kind of isolation isolation, we will have uh, uh, epidemic spikes in the next months until we have a, a vaccine. Right. It's not, we don't have the solution. The treatments that we are uh, using are for very complicated cases and I, they are not working 100% and they have a lot of second, uh, second, second issues. So, uh, and we don't have the vaccine and, and doing vaccines for for respiratory, uh, breath, uh, respiratory viruses are not easy. So it's not something that will be solved in the next months. I think that we will have this new normalcy, this new isolation for, uh, uh, for me until the next 18 months. I just have uh, one last question for you. And that is, um, what was the reaction from your family when you broke the family tradition and decided against practicing medicine <laughs> and wh what are they what's their opinion today you know after uh, you've been successful okay i, I can explain what what uh, exactly what it happened i talked uh my father was uh, is, is, a, is a doctor and i i called him and i said i don't want to be a doctor i want to be a mathematician this is what this is a, a, this is in fact the 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 sentence that i uh the the, the sentence that I, I told him i want to be a mathematician i want to be a doctor and my father was like crazy. He was like, what, 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 what are you telling me? But you are, you are finishing, you are finished uh, medical medicine now. You are a doctor. I don't want to be a doctor. I want to be a mathematician. 
and for for them was uh, was a, a, sh a very very uh, a, a very strong shock, especially for my mother. My mother uh, until ten years ago or five years ago, every day, every time that I say that, are you actually happy with this? Not being a doctor like this, every time, every once in a while, every once in a month. She always asked me about, uh, are you happy with not being a medical doctor? And uh, my father, uh, he understood um, much more easily why I, I decided this. And also helped me a lot in, in going with a new path. So, and also my, my mother, actually. But uh, for them, that they are medical doctors, uh, now they believe that why this is because because I'm I mean I I'm solving medical issues. This is this is what I I'm I'm, uh, I'm happy with doing, but it was quite hard and it was not an easy thing to cope uh, to cope in the when when uh, <laughs> during I don't know ten years with my mother. Uh, what are your further plans regarding the development of Medico? Um, in Asia, there's already a lot of examples of online to offline solutions, also such as laboratory testing. And I think today when everything is going remote and when we order food that's brought to us through applications such as Volt, which enable you to just order something from anywhere and it's brought to you with a bike, that's also moving to the healthcare space. Are you already working with any uh, companies like that? Not, uh, yes and no. We are starting with, so my vision here is that I, I believe a lot in the offline and online at the same time. The only channel that it's always speaking of. In medicine, it's very, I think it's very important. To, I'm not, uh, I don't envision a 100% online medical service. I envision that it has to be uh, a, a cohesion, a, a, a very strong relationship between the physical world and the online world. So uh, this kind of, uh, I, I, I see the idea of having medical practices, uh, physical medical practices where you can do a lot of blood tests very easily. The doctors that are there, all of them are working with medical. They do all of them. They work with you with uh, with uh, with online uh, prescription, online following up. They also lead you or the, uh, or send you to do a blood test directly without going to the to the to the medical practice. All of this pro uh, process, I think that it's the what I see as in the future. Also, another thing that I see a lot is that in instant messaging. There are a lot of things that we can improve in terms of uh, making the the making the process of writing and scheduling and uh, sentences between the doctor and the patient much much easier, much much faster. Like the auto reply out uh, auto reply from Gmail. This is something that also I think that uh, with artificial intelligence we can work on that a lot because with video conference you cannot m make 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 video conference uh, faster. It's like five, 15 minutes. It's, you cannot just make it, make it faster or more efficient. But with, with instant messaging, uh, instead of the doctor writing a lot of things, they can click on them. Or they can just use some tools for more uh, a combining of chatbots and also formal, uh, forms with, uh, with uh, uh, manual writing and auto-clicks to... to for the doctors to be much, much faster and efficient with their work.
so two sides for me it's this i i envision uh this a uh, new way of doing hospitals that are 100% online offline and offline they they are offline but with the mindset of being 100% online like amazon they have offline things they need to order but with your man online mindset that everything the the, the relationship between the the provider and the user is being done online mainly but you need to do a, a you do need to have a treatment you need to do a blood test you need to do a, a, a surgery with this very specialized things but all of them all of the rest is doing ha, is being done online digital this is what i say you've been listening to faces of digital health if you like the show do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast this is the fuel for the show and helps others interested in digital health find the show as well. To browse through past episodes and find more about the podcast, go to www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. And of course, stay tuned.